In today's episode, Lisa and our wonderful guests will be talking about sex, intimacy and disability. Please note mature themes apply. This episode is in two parts, so be sure to look out for part two to get the full scoop on this fascinating topic. Are you sick of the same old disability stereotypes? We were too, so we did something about it. Welcome to That Was Unexpected, the disability lifestyle podcast for everyone. Brought to you by Youngcare and hosted by me, Lisa Cox. Join our amazing guests as we delve into topics that don't often hit the headlines. So let's do this. Prepare for the unexpected. If you're low vision like me or have other accessibility requirements, check out our show notes. Before we get started, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of land on which we record. We pay respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello, everybody. <laughs> okay, I was super excited when the producers came to me with this topic because sex and disability is something that kind of, well, it goes together like oil and water. You don't really hear much about it. It's it's really not discussed. And when you do, unfortunately, and I, I don't want to make fun of this, but it's, it's yeah, kind of not not really put together in a in a nice kind of way. So I'm really excited to have two extremely, extremely experienced guests in their own individual ways on the podcast this morning, Todd and Dr. Marita. If you could introduce yourselves, please. Hi, everyone. I'm Todd Winther. I'm a, a political consultant for Disability Services Consulting. But previously, I was lucky enough to work for Young Care and to live in Young Care's first building at Cinnamon Park. And Young Care is a really important and close place in my heart because they are the organisation that gave me my freedom. So I'm delighted to be with you today. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks very much, Todd. And Dr. Marita Heck, the beautiful Marita who is dressed in blue. Listeners can't see her, but she's she's dressed up for our podcast, which is just fantastic. Tell us a bit about yourself, Dr. Marita. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me and for uh, inviting me to the podcast together with Todd. Um, I am actually um, a nurse and I am a midwife and I'm also working as a researcher um, in the sexual quality of life and disability uh, space and also as a clinician. Excellent. Now, like I said before, sex and disability don't hear a lot about it. Todd, why do you think that the two just don't get a lot of airtime? Why do you think we we just don't hear about sex and disability unless it's kind of not, I don't know. So many reasons. I could probably write an academic thesis on it. Yeah, I think it could too. Basically, there's a stereotype in society that uh, people with disabilities, particularly people with physical disabilities like I have. I have cerebral palsy, spastic quadriplegia. And there's an assumption that people with disabilities are asexual and that we don't want to develop relationships of any kind. But all humans require some some sort of connection and that's what makes us human. And because people with disabilities are classified by a stereotype, 
as subhuman or othered. Um, there's a perception that people with disabilities don't need that connection or thrive on that connection because we're not human after all. We are defined by our disability. Under the medical model, we are defined by our impairments. We're not defined by what we can contribute to the people we love or society at large, whether that be in an intimate context or not. Yep. Excellent answer. Couldn't agree more. And speaking of writing PhD or a thesis or something, I believe Dr. Morita has done exactly that, written a PhD about sexuality and disability. It was a part of it. So my uh, PhD is actually um, divided into how society perceives um, disability and uh, how it, this is actually fed back into media. And then one other topic is how society perceives disability and sexuality and how this is fed back to media. And then, you know, people, um, how we educate a broader community about that as well. And um, Todd said it really well because um, what we also found out in research is actually one of the reasons why this is still a bit of a difficult topic is because people with a disability have been tucked away or were tucked away until, you know, until we had the medical advances to actually support people with a disability to live a normal life, um, you know, and, and that's basically where we are just at the moment in the catch up, you know, to actually say, okay, people with a disability are normal people, have normal you know, normal friends have normal relationships, have sex as well. So it's just, I think society needs to catch up with, with that idea. What? People with disabilities have sex <laughs> as well? No. That, honestly, that that seems to blow some people's tiny minds, but it's it's a real shame that it, that it is. I don't know, Todd, you do mm. really interesting work in this space. Mm. Tell us about some of the work that you do. I've read your website Tell us about some of the workshops that you do with people to educate them about sex and sexuality and, and all of those things. Well, part of the work that I do at DSE is I run a workshop for service providers because the bar well, I co-run the workshop with a OT and a sexologist, but also uh, somebody who used to work for a service provider who also works at DSE. And what we try to do is we don't necessarily talk about the sexy part. You know, do we need to, um, can, can we hire a sex worker under the NDIS or, you know, how do we position a person with a disability? It's more about um, teaching people with disabilities protective behaviours, helping them ask the right questions, putting them in the right frame of mind so they can develop relationships of any kind because the opposite of relationships of any nature is isolation. And the history of the disability movement up until right now is basically people with disabilities have been deliberately isolated, deliberately segregated. So it's taken for granted that people with disabilities, as I said before, actually want relationships. And because 
the social model of disability says that disability is a lack of choice. That too extends to sexuality and disability. How do I explore my body when the bo- when my body is the very thing that works against me? How do I have a safe and meaningful conversation for a provider that I trust? How can that provider develop trust in me? What conversations need to be had if you know, the person with a disability is in a vulnerable situation? And at the other end, what kind of touch do I like? What kind of touch don't I like? If you use a personal su- support worker, the touch that you get is very clinical. So how do I differentiate as a service provider how I explain what is clinical touch and what is intimate touch? So there are different things like that. And because I'm the policy nerd, I get to explain all the all the guidelines and all the frameworks within the NDIS and then the sexologist OT that we co-present with gets to present all the exciting and interesting stuff. That's such important work that you're doing, Todd, such important work. And I think you've worked with some OTs before as well, doing some some interesting work as well, because this this idea that people's disabilities have are asexual, like Todd said, or have no sexual desires and zero interest in sex is all a load of BS, basically. And tell us a little bit about the work that you've done with OTs and sexologists, excuse my (laughs) my language. Um, One of the works I'm doing uh, in my clinical work is I work with people who have uh, physical disabilities and want to self-pleasure. And I have... um, uh, several clients with uh, cerebral palsy as well. And then we look into how can they actually self-pleasure. And then we um, develop with an OT together uh, devices that actually help, you know, clamp vibrators on top of it or male masturbation devices for males. And it's it's a very interesting job because you basically have always to think outside the box. And that's what I love about it. It's just, you know, that challenge. And then it's also finding the right people because sometimes it can be um, very hard to find people who are open to uh, work in this space. And yeah. so um, just to, you know, find somebody who says, hey, no problem, um, give me that vibrator. <laughs> I see what I can do with it. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, and then um, also my clients are very, very um, grateful for that support hey, as well. who wouldn't be yeah. grateful for <laughs> For a device like that, <coughs> everyone deserves an orgasm, I say. I just think it's important to talk about those sorts of things because, hey, if you didn't, if you and I hadn't had that conversation over coffee one day, I wouldn't have known that those sorts of things were available for people with with those sorts of limb differences and, and things like that. And there's probably a lot of people in the community, whether or not they have disabilities, that know those sorts of services are out there and what the one of the objectives of this podcast is to broaden awareness and understanding of disabilities whether or not you have one and so I wanted to wanted to have a chat about that and I know that when we had a conversation that day you mentioned that you work with a lot of people who have acquired a disability 
and sometimes one of their barriers to learning about their sex and sexuality is uh, the healthcare worker and sometimes they don't want to have that conversation And could you explain a bit more about that, please? So, yeah, I'm actually, um, my specialized field is people, I work with people who sustain a spinal cord injury. This is just my interest field. And I work with other, with people with other disabilities as well. It's just a field I'm researching in as well. And so we, um, we see often in the clinical and research space that healthcare workers feel just, um, just, challenged to talk about that topic and unfortunately that uh, is really damaging for the people who sustain a spinal cord injury or who have a disability in general because um, what I see often is that they are getting told uh, forget about it Uh, if you don't use it you lose it and um, it's super damaging because uh, sexual quality of life is um, a very basic human need we have and um, often and we know from research that actually uh, from a recovery point of view a person who sustained a spinal cord injury recovers uh, much better if they know that point you know that uh, life domain is actually covered and they can't can come anytime to a specialist to actually talk about it it's just you know having that information hey there is information out there there are health professionals out there they can help you and then basically to give that uh, autonomy to that person themselves then to reach out to these people and just, you know, give the basic information. Or even um, what I, I actually go into universities and teach that as well in nursing and midwifery degrees. And what I usually say is it's okay if you can't talk about it. It's your personal decision. However, I would like to invite you to actually say, okay, I, I, I it's not my thing, but I do know somebody who yeah. who is, you know, happy to talk about it, who is specialized in this. And then, you know, just really to guide the patient or client into the direction where they actually get the help and not, you know, just saying forget about it. That's just very disappointing. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think if there are any healthcare providers listening, if you don't want to talk about it, that's that's fine. But please find someone who can absolutely pass them on to to someone who who can recommend a colleague or something now now Todd I believe I I do want to probe (laughs) probe you because I know some people with disabilities don't like a lot of questions but I'm gonna probe probe a few questions because one of the questions I get all the time Mm -hmm. as someone with a disability is are you married Yes. And then, then when I say I am, you are? Yes. Okay. Oh, did you did you meet your husband before or after your disabilities? Mm. And then when I tell them I met my husband after, mm. the look of shock in their face is just, just, mm. oh, my God. The idea that someone married me with disabilities, wow, good for you. It's, oh, my God. It's almost like your husband should apply for sainthood, isn't it? Oh, I know. What a good man. Oh, yeah. Far <laughs> out. Tremendous. Yeah. Our producer's just going just gonna to kill me here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can bleep yeah. that out. Yeah. So <laughs> tell me your story, Todd. Tell, um, me, tell me all about your lovely wife and your marriage. We've been married for five years together for eight, and because I got my disability disability from birth, Mm -hmm. yes, we met after I became disabled. Um, (laughs) 
we met online and as a person with a physical disability who goes around in life with a neon sign literally above his head and says, hey, everyone, I'm disabled. Uh, online dating was the first opportunity that I actually had, the first power choice that I actually had of deciding when and how to disclose my disability. So I very readily chose online dating so I could have that authority and power to say, let's have a conversation first. Let's try and figure out if you can actually get this because not only did you have to work out, yes, I wanted to date this person, you also had to figure out that there was a second barrier. And the second barrier was, yes, they might want to date you, but are they going to be cool with the challenges that I confront on a daily basis? You and I, Lisa, are absolutely okay most of the time. We're dealing with ableist behaviour and ableist language, but I can assure you that every time I go out in public with my wife, she gets far more upset on my behalf than I do because, as you say, people have got skin in the game and the, the people that love us naturally care about us the most. It's When we talk about sexuality and intimacy, there's two assumptions at play with my wife. There's an assumption that she's my family member, whether that be my sister or uh, my cousin, and even shockingly, because she's two years younger than me, she's sometimes being referred to as my mother, and I tease her mercifully about that. <laughs> but uh, there's an assumption that she's a family member or that she's an, a support worker. Yeah. So what does that tell me as a person with a disability? I'm either paying her to be with me or she's obliged to be with me as a family member. That tells me as a person with a disability that I'm not worthy of giving or receiving love. So if we extend that out to the entire disability community and we lionise our able-bodied partners, yes, they're fantastic partners and they support us because otherwise we wouldn't be with them but then they're, they're no saints for loving us. They love us because we are human. We share a connection. They don't love us because we're disabled. And there are actually people that have specific fetishes. And if there was an X-rated podcast, I'm sure you and I could... Uh, <laughs> Share some very unique I stories. I think we could. <laughs> but, uh, but the point is, again, it relies upon human connection. It It's no different to, say, Marita, who is not uh, physically disabled, wants and needs emotional connection as well. Mm, it's, yep. it's a human need. And just because we have visible disabilities, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be able to access it. And I'll get off my wheelchair accessible soapbox. Oh, no, please stay on it. I love everything you're saying and I couldn't agree more. <laughs> it's extremely well said, Todd. 
exactly I right. have a question, uh, if you don't mind, sure. because that's a question uh, many of my male clients who sustain the spinal cord injury actually asking me. It's not so much the females who um, have that problem. It's more the males where they say when they actually go on online dating mm. and either they disclose that they are wheelchair user at the beginning, then they don't get matches. Mm -hmm. And if they then, you know, don't disclose it and then say it later into the conversation and then these people get upset as well. And so for me, a question would be, how would you recommend them to actually um, approach this? Well, it's different for everybody, yeah. but if you choose to disclose it later and they get upset, then they're obviously not the right person for yeah, you because right. they're, going, yeah. they're going to get upset uh, based on the disability. Anyway, whether you disclose it at the start or not, what I used to do is, you know, have a, a few vague, cheeky references to the disability to start with. So, oh, this guy's a little bit different. And if they're curious, that's sort of like a trigger to say, oh, they're inquisitive enough to ask questions and therefore they can meet, meet me halfway on a relational or an intellectual level and then that starts the conversation that way. So you're not necessarily lying to them. You lead them down a pathway, um, the end point of which is, yes, I'm disabled and we can have a conversation about this. Thank you so much. That That's really lovely to know because that's one of the biggest hurdles mm. I see in the work I'm actually doing. Yeah. I also, I also would like to uh, add something with the healthcare workers. In mm -hmm. the research um, we are actually doing, my beautiful OT students, uh, we actually developed a website. It's uh, www.sexpositivecommunity.com. And in this website, we actually have um, a lot of information for people with a disability, um, but also for healthcare workers because we know that it's a big hurdle and where we actually um, just give an insight into to um, a conversation, how a conversation can go and uh, where to find support. And uh, this is just something we help, um, you know, the broader community, uh, people with lived experience, um, their carers, their families, uh, and also healthcare professionals to actually start that conversation and just, you know, exchange their, you know, thoughts and you know, be very um, mindful as well okay, when talking we'll about it. Make sure we put that that link in the show notes yeah. as well. Thank and you. Todd, are you aware of any, um, what's the word, dating dating sites specifically for people with disabilities or? Yes. There's always a danger though and okay. I've got to tread very carefully here okay. that it can be exploited either for financial gain okay. or there are devotees who, uh, yep. who seek very specific interests that can be safe but are not always guaranteed to be safe. So, yes, there are particular websites with disability around dating. I actually am a bit of a hypocrite because when I was dating, I made the decision not to date people with physical disabilities. And when I told other people with physical disabilities um, 
I was met with some, uh, you know, incredulous looks saying, well, aren't you a bit of a hypocrite? Because if a girl came up to you and said, I'm not going to date you because you're in a wheelchair, wouldn't you feel upset? But um, I just explained basically that I've got enough physical challenges to deal with. Um, I want to have intimate relationships. Part of that involves physical connection. And if the two of us can't connect physically, that's a really important part of my my relationship as part of my values. So if we couldn't connect physically, that was sort of a no-go area. Yeah, that's totally fair enough. Everyone's mm. got their own their own thing and there shouldn't be yeah. any judgment at all around and what every individual side decides. Physical connection, I'm not I'm not using code words for sex. I'm using co- I'm using language that specifically talks about hugging, even touching because every day I have people touching me on my body, whether it's giving me a shower or dressing me or wiping my bottom when I go to the toilet. So it's really, really important to me that I have very specific touch that activates different parts of my body and that says to me, oh, these people care about me. These people are more than a transactional relationship, whether that be a support worker versus a client. I'm actually getting a connection to say, this person loves me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's really important for for people with disabilities who do rely on that that transactional care, as you call it, to have a another type of care that's that's something something yeah. very different. All right, folks, as promised, that was part one of our chat about all things sex, intimacy and disability. You can catch Lisa, Marita and Todd continuing this awesome conversation in part two. Thanks for listening to That Was Unexpected. If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more, then hit subscribe wherever you get your fix. Have any questions or topics that you'd love for us to tackle? Great. Email podcast at youngcare.com.au. We can't wait to hear from you. Check out our show notes for transcripts, video recordings, and to find out more about our guests, plus the useful resources they share. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, X, and LinkedIn at Young Care Oz. Let's not forget an inclusive community is everyone's business. So let's keep working together to break down barriers and smash some stereotypes.